0: You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialized fiction written and read by Tansy Vayner-Roberts. Roberts. It is 2022, uh, and I am still reading Musketeer Space as our current serial. We have a few chapters to go before we get to that crucial midway point where I was planning a break uh, and to do another serial in between and then come back to Musketeers. It's been a long, strange summer so far here in Tasmania. Uh, our borders opened, so our mostly magical, free of COVID space has changed quite dramatically in the last month. Uh, it's been a quiet summer. It has not been a summer that has been good for our state's economy. If anybody's wondering about that, um, we're mostly staying at home, very quietly, waiting for it all to go away. Uh, so yeah, hopefully that means more, not less, time for recording podcasts, but. I have a house full of people, so that may not be true. Uh, I will be seeing you next week. But in the meantime, our current serial is still Musketeer Space. Chapter 27 Paying for Porthos Dana had flown a lot of ships lately that were not hers. The crew shuttle didn't count, not really. But Rosnay chose Moth, and the Parry riposte had clawed themselves into her head. In both cases, she had been high on stress, terror and excitement. With the Parry riposte she had been dealing with the added pressure of Athos nearly dying, and the colossal mindfuck of blending their brains together with Nexus to keep the boat in the air. The Hoiden was like a cool breath of lemon-scented oxygen by comparison. Of course Porthos' ship would be the most comfortable inside and out. This was going to be a cruise made of cake. Getting away from Paris satellite was the difficult part. Dana had left her digs well before Planchet set out for her holiday, so that Madame Sue did not suspect that Dana was stealing, borrowing her mechanic. Still, the travel pack that she swung over her shoulder apparently smelled of guilt, because Madame Sue was out and about suspiciously early, getting in Dana's face about her comings and goings. Hardly here, but you're off again, Mecca Cadet. They work you hard down on Luna Palais, don't they? She said, barring Dana's path out of the workshop. You know all about hard work, don't you, Madame Sue? Dana replied, polite as anything. She couldn't afford to lose her temper and give anything away. Even if she wanted to shake her landlady and demand to know if she was aware her husband had been kidnapped... again. Dana could still feel Special Agent Rosnay Cho's breath on her cheek as she whispered those last few words to her. If my lord has your boyfriend, you're not getting him back. Damn it! She had no idea where to even start looking for Conrad Sue. She needed Athos, Aramis and Porthos back in her corner. They had to be her first priority. After she finally shook off the suspiciously curious Madame Sue, Dana's next stop was to Amaral Treville. Dana had to report the loss of all three musketeers and her intention to fetch them back as soon as possible without mentioning the specific details of the mission, such as the Diamonds, Buck and Prince Alec, not to mention her own romantic interests. Dana did her best to share what she could with the large, intimidating Amaral. She also confessed about her confusing conversation with Special Agent Rosnay Cho about Conrad's disappearance and the possibility that her landlady was operating as one of the Cardinal's spies. Dana was concerned that she sounded like something out of a hollow soap, but Treville nodded and listened and took her seriously. Leave the Sioux matter with me, D'Artagnan, she said. As Dana's report wound up, I'll have a quiet word with His Highness at our next meeting and we'll see if we can't figure out what's happened. Chances are, once this latest kidnapper figures out that the tailor can't be brain-drained, he'll be dumped back on the streets. Bring back my musketeers and we'll reconvene in a week or so to pool our findings. Dana smiled at that, comforted by Treville's confidence. You don't think they're dead? Dead drunk, maybe, Treville scoffed. Not one of those three would give me the satisfaction of coming to a bad end. They'll be the death of me, more likely. You, though, kid, she added with a rare smile as she issued another travel pass and credit transfer to d'Artagnan for the journey, for ransoms, many bay bills and expenses that the three musketeers might have incurred. I have a feeling you may outlast us all. Now Dana was at the helm of the hoyden. She allowed Planchet to fasten her into the harness, opening her mind to the smooth inner workings of the ship. Please enjoy this flight. I know we'll be splendid together. Dana hadn't known what to expect from Porthos's ship computer. With a name like Hoyden, she hadn't expected a voice like warm marmalade and an encouraging paternal air. That's right, pet, you're doing wonderfully, the ship added as she pulled them out of the dock and into open space. What reflexes. I am impressed. It was embarrassing how nice it felt to have the ship praise her, even though she knew it was an egotistical quirk of programming. She was going to have to tease Porthos about it. And the thought of that made Dana grin all over her face. Let's look at those ransom demands, she said once the flight was underway and the ship's glowing compliments had eased off to a gentle, encouraging murmur. Planchet tapped her clamshell. And called up the text exchange to one of the Hoyden's navigation panels so Danny could read it easily. nine eight seven SS3 X unknown to retrieve Captain Porthos Chantilly Station Grand Saint Martin Room three hundred eight. Bring fifteen hundred credits. O two nine Planchet CS May we speak directly to Captain Porthos or Engine Boniface to confirm their location and identity 987 ss3 x unknown Planchet. don't be an idiot this is b do you have the funds lives and sanity may depend O two nine 29 Planchet cs we'll be there what is the status of captain p 987 ss3 x unknown she's driving me up the fucking wall that's her status That does sound like Bonnie, Dana agreed. I wonder why they need so much credit. Planchet frowned. Isn't Grand Saint Martin a casino? Dana did her best not to beat her forehead upon the dashboard of the smooth-talking ship. Somehow she had fallen into the trap of thinking that Porthos was the sensible one of the three. That certainly wasn't true where gambling was involved. Even a sensible musketeer was still a musketeer. ratbags and reprobates, all of them. Dana missed them so much. We'll see soon enough, Planchet said cheerfully. At least she was enjoying herself. Chantilly Station was very different to Meung Station. Meung was primarily a refuelling stopover, packed with engies and mechanics and seedy one-night entertainments. Chantilly was a high-end tourist zone and shopping hub. Dana was no longer surprised at the size of Porthos's ransom. The number of digital stings and adverts that poured into her comm on the short walk from the space dock to the central plaza was so overwhelming, she wouldn't have been shocked to find Porthos stuffed and mounted in a fancy department store. Everything was for sale. In Chantilly. Grand Saint Martin was not a casino. Worse, it was quite obviously the most expensive hotel on the station. It oozed class and charm. You could practically smell the price tags rolling off it in a perfumed haze. The windows were made of real stained glass, and the entrance door was original polished wood. Dana was starting to think that the ransom for Porthos was suspiciously low. They stepped into the hotel lobby, and Planchet let out a short breath of amazement. There was another pertinent detail about this place that had not been evident from the outside. It wasn't for humans. Oh, the staff were human enough, for the most part. But every guest, from reception to the dimly lit bar-restaurant at the far end of the foyer, was a mendaki. Dana had always got along rather well with the aliens she had met in pilot bars and similar dives on Gascon Station as well as her various stopovers across the solar system. But they'd been comrades, able to speak the common language of ships and beer and spare parts. These Mandaki were from the richer end of the intergalactic alliance. They wore flowing robes and jewelled piercings instead of flight suits and pornographic tattoos. They spoke their own language in bell like trills, instead of using dodgy translating units to approximate speech and standard. The staff waited on them hand and foot with the kind of polite servitude that always irritated Dana, no matter who was doing the serving and who was being treated better than everyone else. Still there was no getting around the fact that this was a hotel for the Mendaki and their comforts. What on earth was Porthos doing here? Brilliant, whispered Planchet. I've never seen so many all in one place. Aren't those outfits amazing? Let's stroll towards the sphere lift, Dana said quietly, her eyes on the circular door to the left of the front desk. As if we've been staying here all week, casual as you can. Oh, we won't stand out at all, do you think? asked Planchet. And it took Dana a moment to realise that the young Engie wasn't even being sarcastic. Maybe we'll get lucky, Dana sighed. Shoulders back, they headed for the sphere lift. They didn't make it. Two staff members in tailored uniforms cut them off and led them back to the front desk with such deference and politeness that Dana was hardly aware it was happening. Can we help you, madame? and madame? asked one. Are you guests of the hotel? asked the other. Dana lifted her chin. We're visiting a friend on the third floor, she said, using a tone of relaxed confidence that reminded her of Aramis and how she was always wrapping complete strangers around her little finger. It didn't work so well for Dana. Both staff members sucked in a breath and looked at her with suspicion. And the name of your friend? said one. For security reasons, you understand, said another. Their voices were not nearly as deferential. Dana's smile came out as more of a grimace. It would be most indiscreet of me to tell you. Ah, said a soft voice behind them. You would be Madame Porthos's friends, I think. Dana and Planchet turned to see a tall, blue-green mendaki approach. Her head was smoothly puckered, and her tendrils fell from the lower part of her face down almost to her knees. She wore a smart suit in the same colours as the staff uniforms, though better tailored. Most importantly of all, she spoke excellent standard, rather than relying on a translator unit. "'And you would be?' Dane asked, not even caring if she came across as rude. She wanted to see Porthos alive and well. Pretense had never come easily to her. "'I am Madame Gazoid, manager of this establishment,' said the Mandaki. "'May I assume you are here to take custody of Madame Porthos?' "'Take custody,' was an odd phrasing. "'I'm here to see her,' said Dana. "'Is there any reason I should not visit her room?' "'Not at all,' said Madame Gossoid, with a quick bow of her head. "'I would be most pleased to escort you there personally, "'if I did not fear for the life of myself and my staff.' "'Excuse me,' Dana said disbelievingly. "'Who's threatened you?' Did this have something to do with Porthos's ransom? What the hell kind of trouble has her, had a friend got herself into? Thoughts of space mobsters and casino crime, or the Red Hammers, or something worse than that, all flitted through her head at once. Why, Madame Porthos, said Madame Gasoyed, with a jerky inflection of her mouth that Dana had learned, in her experience with other mendaki, not to mistake for a smile. She has threatened the safety of any of my staff who attempt to approach her room. Dana folded her arms. What did your staff do to her to provoke such a threat? There is the matter of the bill, said the manager. Madame Porthos has firmly discouraged any attempt to negotiate on what is currently owing. I very much hope that your presence will smooth these matters over. She gave that totally not a smile expression again. Dana hesitated. She could probably cover the bill right now, but she wanted to hear what was going on with Porthos first. I'll visit with my friend, she said, and then I shall discuss her account with you. In about an hour. How does that sound? That would be... "'Most satisfactory,' said Madame Gossoyed, "'this time when she made the expression that was not a smile. "'Her tendrils all stood to attention as if "'everyone in the hotel should be very, very afraid.'" "'Dana!' howled Porthos in delight, "'grabbing her friend around the neck to haul her into the hotel room. "'You're here, finally! Something to eat!' For a moment at least, Dana put aside her worries and enjoyed the fact that Porthos was alive and in one piece. Are you drunk? she asked, as Porthos tugged her onto a couch made of several circular tiers. Perhaps it was designed that way so the Mendaki could rest their tendrils across multiple levels. I am SO drunk it's not even funny! Porthos announced, burying Dana in a deep, Bosomy embrace, there is nothing else to do around here, and the food printer keeps making these lovely cocktails just for me. Hi, Bonnie, Dana said, barely able to disentangle herself from the hug with Porthos. Her friend wore bright green silk pajamas and a slightly askew beehive wig with jade hairpins. Porthos's. Engie sprawled out on an enormous heart-shaped bed, glanced up from her clamshell. About time, she said. I want to get back to my kitchen and my real life. Have you paid the bill yet? Not yet, said Dana. Porthos, what in space happened after the Calais? Porthos immediately pulled up her pyjama top to show off a flawless round brown stomach. Got stabbed, she said proudly, twice with swords, and arc burn here under the ribs hurts like a bastard arc burn. You look all right now, Dana said, reaching out to tug Porthos's clothes back into some semblance of order. The hotel sent up many patches, volunteered Bonnie. Our credit studs were scoured by the uh, red hammers in the fight, so we couldn't pay for an official center." Porthos nodded, looking sadly around the hotel room. It was obviously designed for mendaki and not humans. The surfaces were smooth and cool. The bathroom that Danny could see through the doorway was twice the size of the bedroom, with a sunken pool. A close friend of mine used to own this place, she said. Thought we could hold up for a week or two, not have to worry about the bill. By the time we realised it was under new management, Bonnie chipped in, we already owed them too much. Didn't help when Madame here slipped out to an underground gambling den and ran our debts up even higher. Porthos looked guilty. Champagne? No more drinking, Dana chided. Or gambling. We've got work to do and two other musketeers to find. Porthos leaned against her happily. Missed you, Pop. Where's my Aramis? Missed her too. I don't know, Dana sighed. And Athos! Is he sad without us? He gets grumpy when he's left alone too long. I bet he's grumpy and sad. I hope not. Dana extracted herself from Porthos's octopus-like embrace and went to the door, calling up the final bill for the room. This has gone up since the manager spoke to me in the lobby. Needed more champagne, said Porthos, looking guilty. What you need is a sobriety patch. Way ahead of you, said Bonnie, holding up an ampule between finger and thumb. I had this printed three days ago, ready for our exit. Got the good stuff because I don't think a basic patch will hit her sides. Porthos sulked. I'll take it when we're about to leave. If we don't leave right now, I may shoot you, her NG replied. Damages, Dana read out of the list of the extensive list of air items. Porthos, really. You damaged the lift, a mirror, and a bar stool. They may have asked me to settle the bill at a tactless time, Porthos admitted, and my trigger finger was triggery after the calais. You threw a tantrum in the sphere lift when that rich boyfriend of yours refused to settle your bill, Bonnie put in. Shut up, you. I also owe 90 credits to a local loan shark, Porthos said helpfully. Harry the Hand, lovely bloke, showed me pictures of his kids and promised not to break any of my limbs for at least a month, as long as I stick to the payment plan. Dana finished reading off the damages and sighed. Loudly. I hope we're not going to need much credit to get Aramis out of wherever she is. You're blowing my budget. I tried contacting Bazin, said Bonnie, but all he sent me was some quotes about service to God. Porthos's eyes went wide, and she held out a hand urgently in Bonnie's direction. You never told me that. Sobriety, now, give me... Bonnie handed over the ampoule, and Porthos snapped it open with her teeth, swallowing the dose hard. Aramis is alone with Bazin. Away from Paris Satellite,' she said, her eyes already more alert. "'This is bad. We should have expected this, the little rat-fink weasel.' "'I don't understand,' Dana frowned. "'He's her Engie, and an android. Surely we can trust him.' "'He's had a week to work on her,' Without the rest of us around, Porthos hissed. She's probably a bloody abbot by now. Dana blinked. Aramis wouldn't throw away her service to the musketeers to join the church. Her friend often talked about her time in the musketeers being temporary, but Dana had assumed the day Aramis would leave was a long way off. Yeah, not unless she was feeling especially sad and lonely. Oh, and I don't know, maybe somebody else's wife broke up with her recently. Porthos snapped. When Aramis gets dumped, she wallows in self-pity and theological poetry. And then, if Athos and I aren't around to stop her, she tries to quit the service. To become a priest. Every single time. Dana groaned. Fine, I'll pay the bill and we'll get out of here quick as we can. Planchet, do you still have that trace on the Morning Star? It hasn't moved from Meung since I first located it, said Planchet. Meung station. Dana shuddered at the idea of returning there, but this time she would have friends at her back. She had a sudden memory of Athos at the helm of the Paris Reposte, with pursuit ships coming at them from all sides. There are three cathedrals on Mune Station, she said. Bugger it, said Porthos, pushing her aside from the door. We'd better move fast before Aramis gets herself all spiritually enlightened. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at Tansy R Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. There's going to be some really exciting uh, Patreon uh, goodies coming out this year, including my first, my first true version of Air. Well, for trademark reasons, I can't tell you that it's a choose-your-own-adventure. But it's totally a choose-your-own-adventure. So uh, now would be a great time to jump on board my Patreon. And in the meantime, I will see you next week.